If Archbishop hadn't mandated all the homilies of Advent, what I would be preaching to you about tonight, I know what you're thinking, here we go, three homilies tonight. Um, but I just want to touch it very, very briefly in like two sentences. Advent is a new beginning. You might not have woken up today and thought this, but today for you as a Christian, today is New Year's Day. Not, January 1st is not New Year's Day. If you want to buy the secular vision of time, you can celebrate that. Today is, not new, today, today is New Year's Day. And what today is about, brothers and sisters, and then what Advent, Advent is a season of hope. And what Christians do during Advent is they look to the time that Christ will return to make all things as they should be. And then towards the end of Advent, we start looking back at the time that he first broke into this world. But the theme that runs throughout Advent is that God wants to make all things new. And today is New Year's Day. And when you hit January 1st, I won't judge you in my heart because I'll do the same thing, right? You'll be like, okay, today's kind of New Year's, and you'll have your New Year's resolutions, right? And you'll be like, okay, this year I'm going to grow my hair back. This year I'm going to lose 20 pounds. This year I'm going to become rich. Whatever it is, fine. Advent, God wants to make you new. Right? What if you believe that? What if this Advent over the next four weeks, if you were utterly convinced that God could make you new? What would that look like? And I'd really invite you to look at that, this Advent. Okay. So Happy New Year's. Uh, Archbishop has asked us over the next four weeks to talk about what's called the kerygma. Okay, so everybody say kerygma. Kerygma. Right, that's your Greek word of the night. Not all of you said it. I'll see you in confession after Mass. Kerygma means the basic gospel message. What is the basic good news of the gospel? If you come to Lord's, you've, you've heard me say this over and over again. The good news of Christianity is not that you got your act together and so God decided to love you. That is not what Christianity is. That's not good news. That's, you know, and my favorite, one of my favorite scripture scholars at least, he, he has a great book called Simply Good News. And the main theme of that book is he says, what we've turned the gospel into is not good news, but good advice. And I love that distinction. You talk to so many Catholics, and their faith is all about good advice. Stop doing drugs. Stop sleeping with your girlfriend. Go to church on Sunday. Pray for your first 20 minutes a day. All those things are good. But they're not the gospel. Gospel is not good advice, it's good news. And that's what we want to explore this Advent. So kerygma means the good news of the gospel. And so we're going to do that in four parts, the way that Archbishop's asked us to do this. The first one tonight is creation. And so these four parts is going to go creation, captured, which is about sin and what sin did to the world. Then we're going to talk about uh, rescued in the third week. 
And then finally, in the fourth week, response. How do we respond to it? So tonight's about creation. So this is, this is a message, actually, that finds resonance, right, in our world in a certain sense today. So I don't know when it happened, but have you all noticed all of a sudden John Muir is, like, one of the most popular human beings? I've got two nods. Three. The rest of you are liars. Right? If you haven't seen this, go talk to my mom. I don't know what it is, but my mom, I don't think my mom really even knows who John Muir is, but she buys me a John Muir magnet or a sticker every other week. I'm like, Mom, I've got 40 John Muir stickers on my water bottle, and I put them there because I love you, and I want you to know I love you, but I don't need another one. So John Muir, right, is a 19th century kind of romantic figure who says, I am sick of cities and the craziness, and all the, everyone's insane, and I'm going to go off, and I'm just going to be in the wilderness. And so John Muir is really, in some ways, the founder of Yosemite National Park. Um, and he was totally insane. I don't know if you know this. But he would do all kinds of crazy things. My favorite thing about him is during windstorms, you get these violent windstorms in Yosemite, he would climb to the top of these pine trees and just kind of like ride the pine tree as it like swayed back and forth in these violent windstorms. There's some reports, it's debated that he actually would do that during lightning storms. There's a sense today, we know this, don't we? We live in Colorado. There's a sense of the amazing, mysterious, beautiful reality of creation. There's something true to this. And even those people who don't have a Christian faith, there's an awakening to this in our time. Right, I, was, I, I go to Choose Fit. Right, I'm not, there's some priests who don't like it when you say hi to them. I'm not that guy. You can always say hi to me. Some of you do. I love it. Um, but like at Choose Fit, I was a couple, like a month ago or so. You know, I'm in the, there's a, they show movies. And I'm in there on my elliptical. You know, just like that. <laughs> you can see if you're awake. Right on my elliptical, right? And so there's different attitudes to creation. There's some movie on, I don't even know what the name of the movie is, but it's Chris Pratt and him and Jennifer Lawrence are escaping the world on their way to a new creation, to a new planet. We have all these questions, right? There's a sense where we get in our lives where we say, you know what? Humanity is screwing things up. And we wish we could be like John Muir. Let's just get back to the wilderness. Let's go climb these really high pine trees and windstorms. Or we think, oh my gosh, the earth is doomed, and we've got to escape and find a place where we can find new life. Tonight, at the beginning of the kerygma, we've got to start with a sense of awe and wonder. And I want to help you do that just a little bit tonight. If you're anything like me, we talk about this a lot in Lourdes. Our lives are filled with distractions. We all know it. We touch our iPhones, right, a thousand times a day. Everyone's mad about something in politics right now. There's fear about just what's going on in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what we don't do is we don't stop 
slow down and be amazed at the world we live in. It's important that we do that. The ancient world did that. Right? In the ancient world, pagans, they tended to worship everything because the world was so amazing, it was so mysterious, that they felt that there had to be something of the gods in everything. And so tonight we want to touch just briefly Right, that feeling you had, remember before Denver got so big, before it like quadrupled in size, when you would go to the foothills, or down, you know, just up in the mountains a little bit, and you got away from the Denver kind of light pollution, and you looked up in the night sky, and you forgot the projects you had to do at your house. And you forgot what you had to get done this week in your, in your workplace. And you forgot about that fight you got in with your girlfriend. And you just looked up and there were billions of stars. And you were amazed. We've got to get back to that. And that's where we start tonight. So you've heard me say it if you've been here a long time. I'm convinced the number one cause of atheism in the world is artificial light. Totally convinced of that. We're so wrapped up in the things down here that no one looks up into the heavens anymore and realizes that they're small and that there's something mysterious going on in this magical, amazing universe we live in. Okay, so one of the ways that people do this, so there's two examples of this, just to feel small. So if you're in RCIA, one of the things I quote every year in RCIA, there's a British astronomer named Sir Fred Hoyle. He won the Nobel Prize in astronomy, one of the greatest astronomers of the 20th century. So Fred Hoyle was an atheist, and at one point he converted to, to uh, not Christianity, but to just believing in God. And just to realize how small we are, he's, he's getting a grasp of how big the universe is, and how amazing it is that there is life on this planet. And so Fred Hoyle does this calculation, and he says, okay, what are the odds of a single, simple protein emerging on planet Earth? Just the simplest of all proteins. If we got to that level of life, what are the odds of that happening? And to put it in our kind of terms, I'm not a scientist, to put it in our terms, the way he described it, he says the odds of a, of a simple protein emerging are about the same that a tornado would go through a junkyard. Imagine a tornado going through a junkyard and by random chance assembling a functioning 747 jet. He says that that's roughly equivalent. Another example he uses, imagine if you had a universe filled with blind men and every one of them has a Rubik's Cube. Do you guys know what a Rubik's Cube is? That means no. Right? right? There are those blocks that have the, the colors on them, right? And you're supposed to get every side to match up where it's all one side's yellow, one's red, one's green. It's an 80s thing. Go look it up when you're home. The point of it is they're impossible. I have never solved a Rubik's Cube in my entire life. It, it never happens. Like, if you, when someone tells you they solved it, they're lying to you, okay? 
what, what Sir Fred Hoyle said is he said, you want to think about a single, simple protein emerging on Earth and the odds of that happening? He says that's about the same equivalent as a universe full of blind men who all have Rubik's Cubes, and every single one of them solves it at the exact same instant. That's the odds of a protein emerging on Earth, let alone you. Do you feel small yet? It's amazing. One, one, one more instance of this I want to share with you. So one author, you know, a priest we're working with in Denver named Father John Ricardo, he gives this example. He says, just think of the numbers of this. He says, in our galaxy, there are roughly 100 billion stars. There's 100 billion stars in our galaxy. In the universe, there's a hundred billion galaxies. That's a lot of, that's a lot of stars. Right? I don't know what a hundred billion times a hundred billion is, but somebody else can figure that out. But here's what he says. He gives a visual to this as well. He says, if, imagine, like, if you want to think about how many stars that, that, that amounts to. He says, imagine a sandcastle. And if in a sandcastle, imagine that every grain of sand is a star. Imagine that. He says, how big would that sandcastle have to be to contain all the stars that are in our universe? And think of a star, right? A star, I forget how big the sun is in comparison to the earth. It's a lot bigger. But think about this. Just to contain the stars in the universe, that sandcastle would have to be five miles wide, five miles long, and five miles high. You and I are on a tiny planet going around this little star. And what most people probably thought about today was what happened with the Broncos. And that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Your life is an absolute miracle. The wonder of what happens in this universe and the fact that you and I are here tonight, brothers and sisters, is an unbelievable mystery. And sometimes when we think about this, it frees us to ask more important questions. And it gets us outside of our day-to-day -day anxieties. Okay, but it gets better. As Christians, we believe something far greater than that. So as Christians, the definitive creation story for us, the most important creation story that exists, is not the one in Genesis 1. That's not the most important creation story for us. 
The most important thing about creation, and the most important creation story, is what we call John chapter 1. Here's what John 1 says. I shouldn't, I don't, I don't know why I turned there, I haven't memorized. Um, are you impressed? <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 1. You know it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here's what I want to leave you with tonight. I hope tonight what you'll do is you'll walk outside after church and you'll be And you'll remember that whatever happened today or whatever's going on tomorrow, maybe tomorrow you've got a hard meeting. Maybe tomorrow you have to get up earlier than you, you thought you would have to. But you'll remember that it's a miracle that you're even here. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning God created the world through the Logos, which is Him. But here's what Logos means. Logos, the literal translation is word. It's a really bad translation. Logos in Greek does not simply mean word. If you want to say the, a word, just that mere concept of a linguistic word, the word you use in Greek is rhema, not logos. Here's what's better than the size of the universe. Or the fact that a protein cell emerged against all odds. What's far greater than that? Logos means rationality or wisdom. Astrophysicists will regularly say that the language of the universe is math. For Christians, the language of the universe, as Pope Benedict says is truth. Whatever happened in your life today, my brothers and sisters, you and I take so much for granted. And I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else. As I always say, right, if everything is great in my life and I stub my toe, I turn to God and I'm like, why did that happen? I'm your priest. You're supposed to love me. We assume all these things and we take them for granted. Brothers and sisters, you and I live in a universe that was created by truth himself. We create a world that at the, at the primordial moment of time, God spoke meaningfulness into the world. You live in a world that is not devoid of meaning, a world that is not devoid of truth, and ultimately the most important thing I can say to you tonight, the most mysterious, amazing, beautiful thing that God has done 
is that he created a world where every one of us was made for love. And that's written into the very fiber of your existence. And that's amazing. So tonight, brothers and sisters, we're just setting things up. We're going to talk over the, the course of Advent about the story of the universe, the story of the world, and you'll never get it if you don't start tonight and say, this universe is truly mysterious, it is truly magnificent. It's a miracle that anything exists, let alone me who have a heart and a soul. So Jesus, tonight we ask you Lord, simply for a sense of awe and wonder. Most of my days, Lord, I am distracted, I'm annoyed, I'm caught up in the day-by-day -day things in front of me. And Jesus, I forget the mysterious and mystical world you have created. Lord, tonight give all of us the gift of awe and wonder. 